3: could just
1: being me. Amy Winehouse, back to black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R. Under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th.
4: Ah! Welcome to It Could Happen Here, a show about things falling apart and also putting things back together. Today we have an episode about Well, it's this is this is kind of a big one, folks. So everyone who listens to the show regularly will know that. There have been a rash of attacks by the far right on drag queen story hours and kind of similar events to that. Events that are LGBT friendly events that also involve children have been regularly attacked all over the United States. Uh, at the same time, there have been escalating attacks by right wingers, often the very same people on uh, reproductive health care, resources, clinics, that sort of thing. Um this is happening all over the country, but one place where things have been particularly aggressive as of late is in New York, um, New York City. And Today, we're going to be speaking with uh, a couple of different people who live in New York who have been present at some of these actions and who want to talk about what's been going on with the far right and the attempts to defend these people in these organizations from, uh, from right-wing aggression. So, I want to introduce uh, Talia. Uh, now, Talia, you are known to our audience. You've been on this show and some of our other shows a couple of times in the past. Uh, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, and hello to everyone who still remembers what I sound like.
4: <laughs> and do you want to you want to drop your uh, your your Twitter and stuff up at the top here too? Because you do a lot of on the ground reporting at different times in in the city on sure on events.
2: Uh, it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. It's Talia OTG, as in mm-hmm. on the ground. Um. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's where I do my, uh, reporting on events, uh, analysis, all that dumb shit.
4: And then, uh, our other guests are two New Yorkers, sorry. New York people, um, <laughs> <laughs> who are both anti fascist activists who have been present in the streets for a number of these recent events. Uh, I'd like to introduce uh, Tom and Barry. Do we want to go around and, and do pronouns real quick here? Um, I'm, I'm he, him.
2: Yeah, sure. I'm a she, she or they. Uh, this is Tom. I'm he, him. And I'm she, her.
4: Awesome. All right. Well, that is uh, so I, I guess I'd like to kind of start and and hand it over to, to Talia if she wants to give kind of an overview of how all of this has 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 gone down. But basically, we've seen I mean, the thing that surprised me most in the coverage that I have watched from a distance is how aggressive and large some of the right wing uh, presence has been at like um, reproductive health clinics in, in New York City. I was kind of surprised to see that in New York.
2: Yeah. So there's a group in New York called NYC for abortion rights, and they host once monthly clinic defenses at the Planned Parenthood on Bleecker in lower Manhattan. Um, and they do that because there is a church nearby the um, Basilica of old St. Pat's that hosts a, a, a coalition of anti-abortion uh, religious zealot groups. They, they, Um, organize these large they're usually processions to the Planned Parenthood where they pray outside they throw holy water on the building they attempt to hand out um, propaganda and literature and intimidate people who are coming into the clinic for necessary um, health services Um, and these same individuals have been seen attending anti-vax rallies that the man who leads the procession to the Planned Parenthood. Um, His name is Christopher Muncinski. He's also known as Fidelis, and he has invaded clinics in White Plains, New York, in, I think, um, East Hempstead. Um, He has been trying to revive Red Rose Rescue, which um, people who are familiar with the fight for reproductive rights are probably aware that that is the primary group that invades clinics and tries to harass patients um threatens uh doctors and care workers and all all sorts of things the the main people who lead red rose are either in jail or uh have died thankfully um and he's trying to revive that here in new york um and he has attended um rallies organized by far-right conspiracists Anti-vax conspiracists, um, and it's like you know he he went to D.C. for um, the March for Life, and then he stuck around for the, um, the <laughs> My Body, My Choice anti-vax rally. It was, it's it's very it's it's very contradictory, but we see these same people because they're aligning on um, conservatism, on crystal fascism, and we're we're seeing them pop up um, in shared spaces pretty frequently in New York in ways that I think are more transparent or like more easy to clock here. Even if there is like a larger density of them that do mobilize to these specific things like clinic harassments.
4: Yeah, that's, um, that's a really interesting point. And that's also what we've seen a lot in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, we just had, uh, an attempt did rally at a, a drag queen story hour in Eugene and it was a lot of the same old crowd who used to rally in Portland before they got scared off of Portland. Now, I'm wondering, kind of, what? how would you characterize the response of the police to these events and how they kind of have, have, have treated the right wing at these?
2: Well, it is about as uh, cliche as cliche comes, because every single time, um, when I've covered clinic defenses specifically, Uh, the police are helping move the procession along and threatening uh, clinic defenders with arrest on the basis that they're blocking the roadway. Um, They they essentially work as like secondary security. Um, Sometimes they will split off from the other police and be like pushing and shoving clinic defenders on their own in a way that doesn't make any sort of strategic sense, but it's like they're getting enjoyment from doing that um it's it's the same story over and over again you know we see it in in san diego uh when anti-fascists were mobilizing against uh like trump supporters that were being very violent the trump supporters were doing the violence and it was the police that were attacking the anti-fascists trying to fight against like trying to defend themselves against the far right um and we saw the same thing at penn state just the other night yeah Um, we did the, there was a, a, a gaggle of like Proud Boys or, or I think Tess Owen referred to them as fascists in All Black who were uh, macing the crowd and they, um, they, you know, didn't do anything. The police escorted. There was a, an incident where a Proud Boy was assaulting or like somehow there was a fight that happened with a demonstrator and a Proud Boy and the demonstrator, the police threw the demonstrator on the ground, and then escorted the Proud Boy into the building where Jeez. Gavin McInnes and um, Alex Stein were supposed to put on a, a very bad comedy yeah, you show. That didn't end up happening.
4: Lead him back to his friends. Jesus Christ! I yeah, mean, I, I asked that question, and I know everybody like listening, and I know all of you knew like what the answer was going to be. I feel like you still have to like ask it. Um, I am curious. The NYPD has a, a, a kind of manpower, access to manpower and access to surveillance equipment that in my experience outdoes most nations uh, I've been in. And I'm interested particularly, and uh, in, in everyone's responses are welcome, but particularly what, what Tom and Barry might have to say about what sort of roadblocks that provides towards organizing responses to these events and kind of how activists have had to adapt to that.
5: Uh, This is Tom here. I mean, I will say it's very clear that the NYPD constantly monitors any sort of online space whatsoever. And I think most people know to organize, you know, in person or on signal with a small group of their friends rather than um, trying to get a larger group of people to come to a thing publicly on the Internet. Because anytime that happens, it's like there's instantly... You know, that much larger of a police presence, you get dozens and dozens of uh, what's called the SRG, the Strategic Response Group, which I think Talia can maybe speak on that a little more. But they're basically the uh, hats and bats that come bust up protests. Yeah, I definitely
6: agree with that. Um, And I would also say that uh, because of the sheer volume of events, that these exact same group of of people who are now attacking um, drag story hours and clinics, um, because we know this group already, and they were having almost daily anti-vax rallies, which objectively uh, stopped kind of being a thing to even consider, try to mobilize a counter-protest for. Um, so I think there is kind of a large disconnect right now, which whether by design or accidentally, where I think a lot of people feel like, um, people who might attend a counter-protest, that is, might feel like, oh, no, it's just those same idiots up to their nonsense again. You know, that, that's, we don't worry about that, though tell me if it's the Proud Boys coming and then we'll mobilize to kind of protest. So I I honestly feel that it's sort of the mental, kind of the mental associations that we have with these familiar faces. Um, I mean, despite the fact that it's been kind of obviously long observed that the anti-vax stuff is a direct pipeline and radicalization um, platform for these more extremist and Christo-fascist and transphobic actions now uh, people still can't really detach that uh, uh, no, this is actually serious now. So, um, but yeah, I, I agree with what Tom said, that it's uh, a matter of n- not dropping it. I'm um, sorry.
4: I mean, that that gets to another kind of advantage these folks have, which is because of how much additional state repression y'all are dealing with, the kind of personal cost of attending these events and countering the right is higher, both in terms of potential risk and just kind of in terms of the trauma incurred. I know from personal experience, I mean, I haven't been out in the street in quite a while, about a year at this point, and I know a lot of other people who are in the same place because it just kind of, you know, you can't only take so much as an individual. What are some ways in which y'all as a community try to cope with burnouts that you can continue to meet the pace at which the right is doing this stuff?
5: I mean, I think it's really relying on other people, like the same one, two or three or four or five people can't keep doing everything. Well, yeah. as soon as people start to get exhausted, I think then it's time to, you know, take a step back, take a week off, take three weeks off. Like there have to be other people that are ready to step up, um, you know, throughout your community, but throughout everywhere.
6: Yeah. And definitely, I think there's going to be more of a need to emphasize that this requires everyday anti-fascists. I think in New York City, especially, we kind of fell into a trap where any kind of public call to counter was very militant in style and wording, you know, uh, very clear that it's a cab, wear black, be water, things like that. And the kinds of people that are just community members that we actually do need to also show up and tell the fascists that they're not welcoming their neighborhoods either, they're not going to respond to something like that for a multitude of reasons.
4: And uh, what can you say about sort of the numbers that you're seeing kind of on on both sides on the ground here? What's like a normal action looking like in terms of that?
2: Um, I mean, you know, just from reporting and and keeping tabs on different types of protests. In New York City, we have a lot of uh, nonprofits and more established type groups that organize larger events. Um, And those are typically just marches. For visibility and awareness. Um, And when it comes to a counter or some sort of direct action, like mutual aid, for example, um, we see much smaller numbers, but those numbers that I mean, that I see at least is that these are people who've built community and um, communicate together as opposed to seeing a flyer and showing up just for that one day. These are people who consistently are engaging with one another and with that space so like I I mentioned mutual aid we have um, Washington Square Park Mutual Aid which meets every Friday and the core group that um, sets it up and distributes and everything is relatively small but the people who have shown up to support in some capacity in the past two years that it has been active um, they all know each other. And that doesn't mean that, you know, they're like necessarily like going to birthday parties together or, um, you know, uh, donating kidneys to one another or something like that. It's not necessarily like best friend groups, but it's people who have built a sort of neighborhood in this ideology and in this space, in this time.
5: I would also say like these particular events have kind of brought in like a different Group of people. It's not like the same crews of people that were doing other things because there's more kind of liberal people getting involved that are like coming to these drag string court, drag queen story hour, like defenses to, you know, be joyful and hold up signs and sing and like welcome people into the library. So that's also made it more easy to keep these going because we've kind of got a larger revolving door of people rather than, you know, smaller groups.
4: Yeah, that makes sense as like, particularly as a way to not burn people out, you know? I'm curious as to what have you seen as far – like one of the major tactics anti-fascists always use is identification um, and exposing people who are attending these events, rallying with fascist organizations. Have you noticed a difference on how well this works for the people who are showing up to protest at like Drag Queen Story Hour events versus – the people showing up at, at reproductive health care clinics at Planned Parenthoods and such, because it kind of strikes me that one of those is more mainstream maybe than the other, although perhaps I'm being kind of optimistic in that. But I'm wondering, does that uh, does it appear to be more effective against kind of at, at one kind of rally than it is in another kind, if that makes any sense?
2: So a lot of the people who are engaging in the clinic harassments are known among their networks. And yeah. because their goal is to present a sort of legitimizing face for opposing abortion, um, they don't typically show up to things that are a little bit more volatile. But we have seen that with, so it as it happens, that this, the, the people who are harassing Drag Story Hour, for the most part, have been a part of one specific core group of people that I've been monitoring and reporting on for the past year. So I know all of their names, which has pigeonholed them into what they can and can't do. We had, um, there's, there's this far right propagandist, Orrin Levy. His brother was at a, uh, he was trying to harass a drag story hour at the Andrew Heiskel Library for the Blind. Jesus. And that was an event put on for neurodivergent children. And he was attempting to harass that. He ended up pepper spraying two people. And because he is known, his name is out there, his face is known, and he is identifiable across all social media networks, it was very easy for those people to be able to file complaints against him. That's fair. um Yeah. And another thing, too, is that because this one group does all of these harassments together, they started out doing anti-vax stuff where they were going and harassing a restaurant called dame in um i think it's in the village or yeah it's in the village they were harassing that restaurant for a while and then they started harassing the health commissioner's house and then gracie mansion which is where eric adams lives and they were all doing these things together so their network was very easy to monitor and trace um and so when they started harassing drag story hour which was undeniably they were doing that as a result of far-right propaganda that was being pushed into all of their social media spaces, trying to convince them that drag story hour is, you know, the Satan incarnate. Um, They start showing up and trying to harass those. And immediately they're known. They tried to harass, um, they tried to disrupt um, AOC at a listening event that she was doing in Queens. Immediately they were known. It was like, I saw the footage and I was like, that's Robert White. That's, you know, Cliff Lee, that's Ronan Levy. And it's doing that because they're known, because it's clear that it's one group that's showing up and doing this, trying to trying to follow the lead on what is the trending outrage on the far right that week. It limits the number of people who are interested in joining them because it they rely on making it seem like they are just neighbors and constituents who aren't happy with xyz and it's like no you're a coordinated group of harassers yeah we, we know who you are so that mask being off definitely i think has helped to reduce the willingness to grow in those uh harassments but i can't necessarily speak to the future on what would hold or like what other people have been inspired by them because we have seen neo-Nazis show up in other states to protest Drag Story Hour the same way that these, this little, you know, band of harassers has been harassing Story Hours. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, just a
6: direct response to that, Um, that I definitely agree um, that yeah, we've been monitoring the movements of uh, the main actors in the anti-vax movement for a while, but I did want to say that it is occasionally other groups, but that they all have the same thing in common and that they um, attach to the kind of hot topic issue that they see happening in other cities and states. So we did have actually like a very, like certainly fascist group, um, uh, TFP, I believe that it was called, who, um, you know, had publicly announced a a rally to harass Astoria or initially Mm. latched onto that. Um, But all of it is kind of following national trends um, because they were initially trying to make see. RT and schools be the thing. Um, yeah. That was a, a multitude of different groups that are trying and, you know, they're looking for something that sticks and they're looking for something that passerby or um, any given passerby walking by will see their side of it if they hear it. Um, but their lack of success, though, is because of their, you know, violence and uh, not especially convincing and very human-on-sounding antics to where it is clear that um, they are not actually, they're protesting what they claim themselves. They're protesting. Um, you know, they're they're losing sympathy because eventually their signs started being about Antifa instead of about protecting the children and stuff. Um, So their own messaging is uh, kind of probably also at fault there. But um, this issue is still always going to be at risk for attracting different neo-Nazi groups. Um, I mean, we've seen Orlando now there's a coalition of Nazis who are joining together to attack Story Hour. Um, We've actually seen some of that in New York. Although it was just coincidence that this one crazy anti-vaxxer who um, was showing up to attack story hours the same day that uh, perhaps other groups were. Um, I don't want to say too much about that at the moment because I think Tom had something.
5: Yeah I was just going to say I mean about the you know neo-nazis and other areas coming and uh, protesting these drag queen story hours. I mean at the first bigger one we did was at Elmhurst Library. There were uh, not only somebody who was at a neo-Nazi rally in front of Trump Tower once. We had a January 6th insurrectionist, and I think uh, Talia can probably speak to those two characters a little more. But then um, there were some other. Um, there was another drag queen story hour where someone from GDL showed up, uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with GDL, Robert, right?
4: Yes, yes.
5: Yeah, the Goyem Defense League, these guys yeah. drive around in the hate bus flying the swastika.
4: They're yeah, I mean you just said swastika, but in case people are not aware of what Goyem means, it, what you need to know is the Goyem Defense League are hardcore Nazis.
5: Yeah, like they are legitimate straight up neo Nazis. They fly yeah. the swastika, they go harass Jewish neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, so capital N. Was, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> capital N <M>, Nazi. <laughs> yeah one of them uh went and harassed one of the uh, drag queen story hours recently uh then he uh, ran off and said he was going to get his friends and didn't show up with anyone else from what Aww. i heard <laughs> then uh speaking of neo-nazis you probably know uh jovi val oh ran into, oh yeah. yeah yeah jovi and <laughs> i had
4: a conversation a couple oh. of years ago with with my good friend goad
5: <laughs> yeah your old buddy
4: <laughs> Hmm.
5: Well, he showed up at a, um, I believe it was a pediatric healthcare care facility. I don't know if they do gender affirming care, but he was in front yeah, of that. Neither place did holding he. Up a sign.
4: I'm sorry. That's... I said, neither did he.
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it,
6: was, it was literally because the clinic had uh, pride flags in the window.
4: Yeah, that makes oh, sense. Oh, okay. That, that yeah, makes so sense. he was holding
5: up a sign that said, uh, I'd rather a Nazi than a pedophile which is just like a nonsensical and be like, just, you know, say Nazi, cool
4: just say you're exactly. a Nazi, bro. Just say you're a Nazi, bro. We all know. Just say you're a fucking Nazi. Why is that the choice? Mm-hmm.
5: It's so funny. Cause there's like pictures of him with the swastika necklace, yeah. like doing the Roman salute. Like dude, everyone knows you're a Nazi. Yeah.
6: <laughs> no, he's completely unashamed. And that's the weirdest part about him because of, uh, you know, he learned an interesting lesson about wearing just a, you know, a MAGA hat in a bar in Brooklyn a few years ago, if anyone knows what incident I'm talking about. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! So I, I find it interesting that this actually did not deter him from ever leaving his house again, you know, nearly losing his entire nose. Um, so and then still <laughs> deciding to just double down and actually start carrying the Nazi flags, thinking it'll go better this time. Um and apparently I mean, he to just. To be fair, yeah. this
2: guy's trying to make Nazi shit. He's trying to make his name again in 2022. Like Jovi Val is like, he's he's expired, and he doesn't seem to realize that. <laughs> no, he's but one he's of like, like. You know what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna have nobody with me and I'm just gonna be standing in front of a closed pediatric clinic, like with a sign telling people all they see from a distance is the word pedophile and the word Nazi. Yeah. Like-
6: I mean, he did Great. have his one little buddy with him in fairness, according to his own videos that he posted of the encounter. And that buddy of his, whoever he was could be heard saying uh, something like, Hey man, you know, I can't fight.
5: <laughs> I, mean, I actually, I, I, saw, I saw the video that Jovi that got posted on Telegram and he said, Jovi, I can't fight. I can't fight, man. Jovi, I can't fight. And uh, you can also hear Jovi scre- yelling, what are you doing? What are you doing? As he gets tossed into like a construction area. And he's such an embarrassment to like even other Nazis. They're even <laughs> making fun of him online. <laughs> I mean, somebody literally said, uh, why does Jovi always get his ass kicked? This is ridiculous. <laughs> He is
4: he is the kind of he is the kind and generation of Nazi that other Nazis consider cringe like (laughs) exactly fucking Jovi Val. I hate him so much.
6: (laughs) At at the same time, though, it is a little bit alarming because all of this uh, attention on uh, figures such as joe v. val failing every time and like stepping on rakes metaphorically every time he goes outside it does kind of open a nerving vacuum up to like oh what i can be a way better nazi than that yeah um, so that is the part that concerns me if um the constant attention is that um you know joe v. val did not succeed in organizing a transphobic nazi rally outside of a closed pediatric clinic okay i guess that's a win but who else sees that and sees and thinks oh we can do so much better because we do have a problem with unidentified Nazis throughout New York city. There's, you know, there's been increases in all sorts of graffiti all over the subways, um, Nazi literature being put on trains and left to places. It's, uh, you know, so who is seeing this and how, what is the messaging exactly to say that yeah. like, you won't succeed if you try this either, just cause you know, Jovi keeps getting his shit rocked. Like we need you to know <laughs> you will,
4: you will, too. you will get your shit. I mean, that's the most important Thing, at least in in my experience, and and that is mostly as an observer. I'm not an organizer, but I've I've watched what's happened in the Pacific Northwest, and the reason why these people don't rally in Portland the way they used to is they were faced with consequences, and that required. I mean that was that I, I, was not a simple process. It took fucking five years, and a lot of people got broken bones, and a number of them got killed, but. Like, that is that is the thing. people Like, these people's lives have to be cratered. And one of the things that is a real problem is that it's a lot easier to crater people for rallying, or it used to be, number one, it used to be easier to crater people's lives because they were willing to rally with Nazis. But also now the right has succeeded in mainstreaming these two specific things, going after drag uh, Queen Story Hour events and going after reproductive health care clinics and the people using them to such a degree... That it's gotten a lot harder to ruin people's lives over this sort of thing.
6: That's that's true, but at the same time, yeah. there's an increase in so many of them who are just unabashedly that way. Yeah, post their full names, addresses, photos. They say, uh, you know, identifying or doxing them is not. There, it's just actually almost. Uh, yeah. Empowers them. Yeah, I think them being in, in some a ways. bigot
5: is in vogue again. You know? Yeah. Like most, like a large chunk of the country is totally fine if you're a crazy bigot.
2: right is radicalizing in a sort of gradual pace over the course of many years. Um, And what's happening with um, people who are countering them is that there is this density of media and pundits sort of um, looking down their nose at the uh, decorum of countering them. So, you know, we, we look at Penn State um students showed up in mass, hundreds of them, um, significantly outnumbered the Proud Boys that did show up, the fascists that did show up, and successfully shut the event down. But there's still this like armchair punditry reflex to say, oh, well, they didn't do it right. There's no like the right. old, it's not oh. the right way to protest. And I think um what Barry is sort of Barry mentioned earlier about everyday anti-fascist. Yeah, And that's, again, like with your neighbors and recognizing that it's not this weird, um, inaccessible, like isolated group of people who solely show up very militant and in black block. And they've got like all this training and all these like slogans and slang and words. And, you know, it's it's none of that iconography because that is also the conservative media, i.e. Andy No, constantly refers to all sorts of things as, oh, this is just Antifa. And the purpose of that is to make it seem like you can't do that, too. When in reality, he, uh, Andy, no, that little shit stain. Yeah. He referred to <laughs> the defense of the, the successful defense at the uh, Elm, Elmhurst Library. He claimed that it was Antifa militants. When I happen to know there was a pastor who was there. There was a nursing mother with her infant and her toddler who was there. There were librarians present and there were people who showed up because they were in the neighborhood and they heard that far right extremists were going to try and harass. And sure enough, just like Tom mentioned, there was a J6 insurrectionist who tried to get into the building. I recognized him. Like rushed into the building. Yeah, he tried to rush in. I recognized him. His name's Mitchell Bosch. He's best known for getting arrested for taking a knee in a Burger King. God get arrested damn it. wearing.
4: <laughs> god uh, MLK, damn
2: it okay hoodie yeah this guy tried to rush in and i don't know how it happened but all of a sudden my arm was hooked into his arm twisting his upper body slightly so he didn't have a good he didn't have good leverage to try and burst into the building where i knew that if he got in he would refuse to leave until he was physically removed by police so then he could then go online and say that he was fighting for freedom and collect bullshit donations for bullshit legal funds. So. Getting all back to this, though, is that the media and like these, these pundits and everything, they are complicit in making it harder for people to build community. But people need to understand it is literally your neighbors, it is your local librarians, it is your uh, friends, it is your coworkers, it's regular people. The same way people showed up to protest in 2020, they, you know, oh, should I bring a sign? Should I bring a bottle of water? Should I bring my ID? What should I bring? And they just showed up and they marched you can do the same thing because when you have a significant number of people, you don't need to worry about being militant because you outnumber them. And across the board, if you look at data, the, 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 the positions and the the politics that these people hold and the things that they're pushing are in the significant minority of opinion. A majority of people are totally fine with trans people. They're totally fine with drags story hour. Like it's, not a thing but people aren't showing up to remind them that their opinion is the minority and um, that they are outnumbered yeah
6: yeah i was going to say i agree with that last point and unfortunately the problem seems to be about our kind of uh, cultural um inability to agree on the definition of violence and how even though people are okay largely with queer and trans people and protecting trans kids um and they definitely do not support Nazis. Um, they still do not think that um, any kind of militant action, including violence against these people, is ever appropriate. Um, and just uh, a direct response to the Penn State thing, it goes beyond punditry even, because Penn State itself released a statement saying that um, that it does not condone violence without saying who started the violence, AKA the Proud Boys who are amazing people, um, They said that uh, just because you don't agree with a speaker and their right to free speech, a.k.a. hateful tour of Gavin McInnes and the Proud Boys, um, that there is no excuse for violence. So they denounced the content of the message as well as the response to the message. So we're kind of in this limbo where um, people who have the voice to send these messages are still playing the meat at the dinner table, both sides. Surely we can come to a peaceful resolution and then blaming the side that actually is militantly opposed to it and how to overcome that. I don't know, but I do think the, like Tali also said, everyday anti-fascism is a pretty good start.
5: Yeah. I mean, with everyday anti-fascism, like the right does this grassroots organizing and gets people to like tacitly agree with what the proud boys and these fascist groups do. I think there was plenty of like normal people who would tacitly agree with what we're doing on this side of things. Um, but, I mean, you look at like I think it was a, somebody uh, campaigning for maybe it was Ron DeSantis. Robert, you know about this? Uh, it was like a literal neo-Nazi who got. Basically no, it a was a,
4: Ru- Rubio. And it was a, the guy Margo was a, a member of the yeah. um, he was a he, Cuban fascist who was a member yeah. of the League of the South. He, so, yes, exactly. he was big confederacy dad, guy yes, yeah. yes. Well,
5: well, like there was a journalist online who was like this is awful and somebody's like he's literally a Nazi and then you look up this journalist's like history of articles yeah. she's written and one was like this is why you should be friends with a Nazi or I'm paraphrasing but that's literally like we should befriend Nazis like it's it is ridiculous how so much of the mainstream is like let's come to the table and be polite. I mean, I really think, and I think a lot of other people think, when it comes to Nazis and fascists in the far right, you have to make it as costly as possible, whatever that means to you. <laughs> you have to make it as costly as possible for them so they are deterred from doing this organizing.
4: Yeah. I, I think that's the the most durable conclusion, certainly, that I have. It seems like what y'all have experienced too and are continuing to experience. Is there is there anything else y'all wanted to get into about about what's been happening in, in, with with these events before we kind of close out for the day? The only
6: thing I could think to add was that that it's not over and um, people might think, oh, they stopped coming to drug Story Hours for whatever reason, but they're going to find the next thing, the next issue, the next clinic, the next hospital, the next um, healthcare provider, the next uh, family who has trans children, uh, they have dresses, they have names, they know where to go. They're just looking for when they feel most emboldened to do so. Um, and it's kind of, it's hard to communicate that because people think, oh, okay, that was a successful action. You know, we're done, we're done with them for now, but it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, it's really hard to communicate the message that like, you know, it's like head on a swivel. Uh,
4: this is the... This is the hardest thing to not just to get across to people, but to kind of like actively accept for yourself because it's it's one of the most frustrating realities of living in our society. But there's no way to get around it, which is that like not being eaten by these people is the result of constant vigilance against them. Like. Mm They, they win if you don't continue showing up. And one day in, in, in the bright blue yonder, I do believe that if people continue showing up and continue making it clear that their cause is hopeless, these people will all drink themselves to death or whatever. But, um, you know, that's, that's not an immediate term sort of thing.
6: No, I know. Well, and, uh, I mean, on, for just my personal note, like, yes, that is exactly the mode I'm in now. And I, I mean, I'm a, jewish anti-fascist organizer it's almost this kind of history repeating itself ancestral need um to to keep at it and i'm one of many people um in the same kind of mindset to where it's not an option to rest and wait until they you know strike when they think we're not looking yeah um but it's it's you know obviously hard yeah
2: i mean we have like we have evidence that they are looking for the next thing we have evidence that um you know there's this one woman who got heavily involved with um the anti-vax group New York Freedom Rally um and she would go on you know Instagram live streams saying a lot of like transphobic stuff but she never transferred that over onto public spaces until this week where she reiterated the same points that she was making in the privacy of her home on that live stream to her little audience she's now saying it on a stage that she's sharing with the candidate for governor, Lee Zeldin, um, she's she's repeating these same things. So it's showing also that they are finding it. They're finding themselves more comfortable in saying these uh, bigoted things and, and pushing more extreme things and expecting for their followers and their uh, friends to follow suit there's people who've shown up to these uh, harassments of drag story hour who have said directly to me that they don't really agree with the harassment itself but that their friends are there doing the harassment and so they're showing up for them and that's a very quick road to they're going to decide to care about this very deeply and go very hard about it but what has worked is when people show up and make it yes. not happy and not good for them when their footage is ruined when their sound bites are fucked up when they are blocked from doing the thing that they're trying to do to generate Mm -hmm. that content to feed that like bigoted beast when people show up when those events keep happening that's a big thing is that like the venues that host these events need to not cancel them yeah because when those venues cancel it tells the bigots that they are winning and yep. what needs to happen is the venue's feeling brave to put out calls for community support the same way that happened in Eugene. Because when that venue put out that ask, they got hundreds of people mm-hmm. and they outnumbered the bigots 10 to one.
5: I was just going to say, I was, I'm was i very heartened by like how supportive the uh, people in the neighborhoods and libraries have been, whether they're allowed to officially support anything or not. It's been uh, you know, nice to know that people are happy we're there. And also, I would really love to see a meme of Jovi Val stepping on a rake now <laughs> that you have that image in my head.
4: Yeah. <laughs> um, was there anything else we wanted to get to?
2: Uh, self-defense is community defense. Yep. And um, if people are interested, um, people in New York created something called IFAC fund uh, where you donate funds and then people who want to receive individual first aid kits um, can request one and receive one for free. Um, And it was created in honor of a anti-fascist badass named Torch um, who is always presente. Um, But yeah, if, if people wanted to check that out, it's uh, the Twitter account is just at IFAC fund. IFAK fund. Um, if they want to donate, I think it's uh, Cash App is IFAC fund. I think, you know, someone else could look it up to, to check. to confirm Yeah, it's dollar life. sign IFAC fund. Oh, I'm sorry, dollar sign IFAC fund. Thank you.
5: <laughs> At dollar uh, sign
2: whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's just a matter of like knowing that we keep us safe in every sense of the word
4: yeah and I think that's a a perfect note to end on thank you all for your time thank you for continuing to be out there in the streets Um, and everybody else get out there and make a fascist stay worse
2: Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com sources. Thanks for
3: listening. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health.